Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. All right, the big comfy couch is the sermon title today, and it is week four of our Couch Potato series. Have you guys been learning as much as I have from this series? Hasn't it been good? God is good. God is good, and the Word is good. And so today, how many of you remember the big comfy couch TV show? Yeah? You remember what that couch looked like? I know this one looks nothing like it, (laughs) but this is my big comfy couch today, okay? Again, nothing like the one. And it doesn't even look, it's not actually all that comfortable, I'm going to be honest. But it is our big comfy couch this morning. You know, as Christians... We enjoy a certain amount of favor from God, right? A certain amount of blessings from God. We enjoy them. We get to participate in God's goodness a little bit. He provides it for us. And we throw around these verses out of context a little bit sometimes, right? Like like one of the verses we sang about today, God will work it all out for my good, and he will if. There's a condition on that blessing. It's actually from Romans 8.28, and it says, God will work it all out for the good of those who love the Lord. Of those who love the Lord is a very important part of that verse, and yet we often forget that part. We love just saying, I will see a victory, and and he's going to work it out for my good in service. We should be, as Christians, we should be hearing also in the back of our heads, as I trust him, right? As I love him, as I obey him, he will work it out for my good. And we have all of these Christian t-shirts, and and we wear lots of inspirational verses, but we don't often know the context that they come in. One verse that I used to quote to myself a lot as a kid, as I was growing up, was Joshua 1.9, and it says, Be bold, be courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I used to draw a lot of strength from that verse, I changed who I was and the person that I felt called to be, the person that I wanted to be through the power of the word and verses like that. But there's a long paragraph, not super long, it's only one nine, but there's a paragraph in Joshua before this verse that talks about how Joshua is to obey every command that the Lord gave Moses. And there were a lot of them. Obey every command. Be careful to obey every one of them. And then it follows it up with, be bold, be courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But what happens is we get comfy in God's blessings. We snuggle in a little bit, right? We get used to the fact that God is sort of at our beck and call. He's the provider. He's the deliverer. He's the comforter. He's the healer. He does good things for us. He wants good things for us. And we get comfy and we cozy in and we, ah, we put our feet up, right? Ah, we snuggle and then we say, okay, God, I would like a new job, please. One that's perfect for me. Oh, and if you could bring it here now, right? I shouldn't lay there too long. I'll get too comfortable. 
I'd like it here now, please, God. I'm, I'm really comfy in your blessings. I'm getting used to you providing everything that I want and need. And so, here now, please. If you could bring it now and make it perfect for me. And I don't want to have to go out and search. So, you know, just come on. We make God into the waiter. God into our provider for every want. He may have never intended to be that. He wants to give you good things, yes, and his love is unconditional. Please hear me on that. His love for you is unconditional. There's nothing you can do to earn more of it, and there's nothing you can do to cause it to go away. He loves you for you. His conditions, however, are conditional upon your obedience and your trust in who he is. But we think the blessings are where he wants us. We think the blessings are all he wants for us. And we begin to use our prayer life as more of a a need and want list. We begin to see God more like a, a Santa Claus than the God of heaven and earth. And we all know prayer is one of those behavioral things we ought to do. Right, That is one of the spiritual disciplines, like Bible reading and attending church and fasting. We should be praying and expressing our thoughts and feelings to God. The Bible is pretty clear about it. Ephesians 6, 18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, Pray continually. James 5, 13 says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Romans 12, 12 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Philippians 4, 8 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to the Lord. These are things we should do. It's pretty clear. Always be praying on all occasions about everything. And yet, I tend to think we sometimes get the why out of context. We start to believe that this is all God wants for me. He wants the blessings. He wants me to be comfortable and cozy on the couch, right? As someone explained prayer to me like this once, God gave us authority on heaven and earth, right? He created the world and everything in it, and it was good. And then he put us in it to rule over and subdue. That was our job description in the beginning. It is our job to have the power on heaven and earth and to do something with that, to be creative, to use our gifts and talents for his purposes. That's our job description. Therefore, if we want him to come in and step on our toes, to come in and use his power to override our own, we have to invite him to do so because he's given us the power. If we want him to step on our toes, we have to invite him. That's the purpose and the power of prayer. So what do we do when it seems like God sort of says, stop praying? (laughs) This is where I wanted to go this entire series. And for some reason, God just sort of kept giving me other things to do first, but I started to notice a couple of places, and it's rare, but a couple of places where instead of praying too little, a person seems to pray a little too much. 
a couple of places where God says, maybe you should stop praying. In fact, he questions, why are you praying to me right now? You have something to do. And we're going to look at three different instances this morning throughout the word when God questions why someone is coming to him. And they're really interesting examples because throughout this couch potato series, I was never worried about us communicating that we should be doing more physically. We should be serving. We should be giving. We should be pouring back into the church. I feel like that's pretty clear in the title. It's a little obvious, the couch potato title. What's not so obvious is the spiritual laziness that sometimes crops up in our lives. It's easy to see we're not doing enough. We're doing more Netflix binging than we are serving people, and we need to get up and get out and serve. That's pretty easy to diagnose. The spiritual laziness side of this, though, is a little more difficult, and it can disguise itself sometimes in very religious things. We can attend church every single weekend and still be spiritually lazy. We can jump through the hoops, check off a box. Like I talked about last week, I felt like I, I even used to use Bible reading incorrectly. Okay? Check the box. Get up, read a chapter, not really get anything out of it. But I felt like a good Christian that day. Move on. It's not what it was intended for. It was never intended to just be another box to check. It's life truth. It's meant to dig down deep into our soul and change us from the inside out. So when we use prayer badly, (laughs) three examples from scripture today, when God seems to say, stop praying. Number one, we're going to go to Joshua 7. Now Joshua 7 uh, takes place in a time in Israel's history when they had already been liberated from Egypt. They had come out of that. They had crossed the Red Sea. They had been given the Ten Commandments by Moses on Mount Sinai. All of that had happened. And now we're at a point where the entire generation of people who had complained in the desert had passed away, including Moses. And it was now time to enter into the promised land. Joshua had been chosen as the leader to do this. And so he follows God's instructions and he Goes in, he begins to take over the land. The problem with the promised land, just if you don't know that much about this line of the story, there are people in the promised land who don't want to give up their land of milk and honey, right? And so they have to go in and there's a series of battles that they have to engage in to take the land that God has given them. And God tells them, I will give you victory, but in this first battle, you are not to take anything. Don't take any spoils of war. Don't take any clothing. Don't take any riches. Don't take any cattle or sheep. Take nothing. Nothing. If you can obey me, remember, his blessings are conditional. So if you obey me in this, I will give you victory. You will have the land. Trust me. Don't take anything. How many of you know there's always one? Right? There's always that one who just can't quite obey. And so they go in, they do the battle, they win, but someone takes something. A robe, 200 pieces of silver, and some gold bars, to be specific. He goes and hides them in the ground, digs a hole in and covers it up. And Joshua doesn't know this yet. 
maybe he should have, right? He knew the rules. He knew what would happen if someone disobeyed. They go to the second battle of God's instructions and they fail miserably. I mean, the enemy wipes the floor with them. And here in Joshua 7, we're going to pick up the story where Joshua is on his face before God. God, how could you? And what is everybody going to think? All the other nations, all of our enemies out there who just can't wait to kill us, now they know that you aren't who you say you are. And what am I going to do? We've been defeated. We're, we're vulnerable. We're open to attack now. How am I going to handle this, God? And he's worried about the reputation. He's worried about the defeat. He's on his face before the Lord. And at that point, God said in Joshua 7, verse 10, but the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. Duh. Okay, God didn't say duh, but I feel like maybe he could have. <laughs> Joshua should have known better than anyone else. Uh, their only reason for defeat would be disobedience. The only way that they would have been defeated would have been disobedience. And so his job in that moment as the leader was not to come before God and complain, talk about all the symptoms of the disease, right? The, the reputation and the defeat and the death and the horror. Not talk more. In fact, now was time to go and deal with the sin. God goes on. Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself has been set apart. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Again, duh. <laughs> We've been over this, Joshua. It's not time for you to fall on your face before me. It's not time for you to complain and whine about everything going wrong. It is time for you to go deal with unrepentant sin. And how many times do we do this in our own lives? Right? We get real comfy on the couch. We get used to God's blessings and the victory on every side. And then we take a little bit for ourselves. We get too comfy on the couch. We decide maybe we know a little better now. And all of this success and comfiness is, is because of us. And we go and take something that doesn't belong to us. And when it goes badly, we go and complain to God. God says, you should have known. I gave you the couch after all. I know how to help you maintain it. And I know how to give you a better one when necessary. Come on. Now, as Christians, we've been bought by the blood of Jesus. It was an expensive price, the cost of the life of the Son of God. Fortunately, he didn't stay there, but he paid it. He came to this messed up, broken world, shed his blood for us. And we often forget that God is so good. Because of Jesus' blood, we get to stay somewhat messed up and still have a relationship with him, right? So we get used to this goodness. We forget that God is so good that no evil can exist where he is. The holiness, the purity of him, it must remain so. And it pushes out 
everything that is evil. We talked about a week or two ago, love is large, right? So large that it pushes out everything else, and that's who God is. He is so good, so pure and holy. He is love, and nothing else can exist within him. So when God walks into a room, there are necessarily some things that must walk out. And when God is pushed out of a room, there are necessarily some things that walk in. God is so good. And when we allow certain things into our lives, we are also indirectly or directly pushing God out. That's why he's a jealous God. There just cannot be both. Cannot have it both ways. And so we cannot continue to pray to him and disobey him and expect him to still be there to bail us out. Sometimes there are things we have to get up and we have to deal with ourselves. We have to kick out of the camp. We have to dig up the thing we've been hiding, get rid of it and destroy it, and then come back to God. Now, one thing I don't want you to hear me saying from this is that you should stop praying. Right? Because all those verses we read earlier are pretty clear. Pray continually. Pray in all circumstances. And I think that if Joshua hadn't come to God, maybe it was in the wrong spirit, right? Maybe it was whining and complaining about the symptoms, not the cause or whatever, but he laid himself down before God and had an honest conversation with him. By the way, God's not afraid of honest conversations. He's not afraid of your anger or your doubt or your fears. He wants to have those conversations with you. And so when you have that honest conversation, you also have to be willing to hear the response. It's not always encouragement. Sometimes it's stop whining, get up, and deal with it. (laughs) Are you willing to trust God even when that's the response? Now, I'm not talking about sin that you are not aware of. Some people will will go a little too far with this and say, I have to be perfect all the time. I have to watch every single thing that I do. I'm so scared I'm going to step out of line with God and I'm going to lose my salvation. And that's not what I'm trying to communicate today. If there is sin that you are aware of, however, and you're just too lazy to fix it, God might be saying to you, get up, go fix it, and then come back to me. Deal with what you've got going on in your life, the thing that you've been hiding for a while, the thing that you might not be big enough yet for anyone else to notice. You have it buried in your backyard, though, so you can come back to it right? You're keeping that secret pet sin all to yourself. Stop. Admit it. Deal with it. Move past it and then come back into right relationship with me. Joshua, just like last week, was worried about the symptom of the disease, not the disease itself. He was worried about his reputation. He was worried about defeat. He was worried about losing the comforts and successes blessings that God had given him. He needed to be dealing with the unrepentant sin and then come back to God. Jesus in Matthew 5 put it this way. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go 
and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Deal with the sin. Love people extravagantly. Forgive when they don't deserve it. Right? Say you're sorry when you should. Go and be reconciled to someone and deal with that sin, that unrepentant sin, and then come back and sacrifice to me and worship me, and we can be in right relationship again. When God seems to say, stop praying, it might be because there's unrepentant sin, or it might be more like our second example in Exodus 14 today. Now, in Exodus 14, this was before the story of Joshua. It was actually as the Israelites were being liberated from Egypt, their slavery of hundreds of years. And finally, Pharaoh had said, fine, they can go, right? After 10 horrible plagues his country had lived through after death and destruction, he said, fine, go. And so we see thousands of people stream out of Egypt, and they get just out of the city limits, and they come up to the Red Sea, which is quite literally a dead end. There's nowhere to go. There's natural formations on either side of this valley that they were in. Okay, God, right? What now? And then they hear galloping of horses behind them, right? They see the dust cloud rising. Pharaoh has changed his mind and has sent the army after them. And so literally they're stuck between a rock and a hard place, a sea, and an army that wants to kill them or enslave them. Again, whichever comes first. And we see the people start to flip out. Like, oh, Moses, how could you? How could you bring us to this place just to let us die? We were better off as slaves in Egypt. Why do we go through all that if we're just going to die here in this valley? And Moses, I imagine with all the faith that he could muster, with literally all the odds against him, he stands up in front of those people and he says, stop whining, watch and wait. God has something for us here. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he says. And I can just picture this moment. It doesn't say he turned his back to the people, but I imagine he sort of, okay, God, what do you want me to do here? And put on a brave face, right? And then turned around and freaked out. God, what do you want me to do? I literally have no options or ideas right now. You brought us here. Now what? And in Exodus 14, verse 15, the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? What? (laughs) Right? There's literally no one else to cry out to right now. Why would God say that in this moment? I can just picture Moses' face. Like, what do you mean? Is this not what I'm supposed to be doing right now? Like, All the odds are against me. You brought me here. I was minding my own business out at that burning bush, right? I didn't ask to be here right now. What do you mean, why are you crying out to me? But God goes on. (laughs) Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. You should know this by now, Moses. You should know that I brought you here for a reason. You should know that I have a plan You should know that I didn't bring you out of the desert in hiding for nothing. I didn't bring you here to abandon you. Now, stop whining and tell the people to get moving. You know the plan. 
plan isn't to die here in the valley. It's to get to the promised land. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed. His troops, his chariots, and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. God led them to a dead end to bring it to life again. He wanted them to stop mourning the end of something and start looking for the miracle. To stop crying out and whining and doubting him and just take another step in faith. Sure, it was a step into a a sea. (laughs) But God's overcome worse, right? He didn't bring you here to abandon you, Israelites, and he didn't bring you, Freedom Valley, here to abandon you. He didn't do all of that in your past just to abandon you at a dead end. But for this plan to work, for his plan to work, you have to trust him. For his plan to work, you have to step out in faith. You have to participate in it. Because again, God has given you authority. He's given you a certain amount of power here on earth. He needs you to open your hands a little bit Stop clenching everything, every amount of control that you can get. He needs you to participate with him. We talked about last week how God is a partner in this life with us, not a slave driver. He doesn't hold all of the cards. He shows us some of them and asks for our participation. He wants us walking hand in hand with him towards our purposes and callings, towards salvation and freedom. We have to participate in this. We have to stop crying out and whining to him and getting really comfortable in the blessings and start moving. Now, every time I read this story, I ask God all over again, why didn't you just make it easy on them? They had been through so much, all those plagues and the back and forth with Pharaoh. I mean, why couldn't you just have made it like the automatic doors at the grocery store, right? They just part before me. And I walk through. Why couldn't the sea have been like that? It just parted as they got to it. Every time I wrestle with that question, and every time I think God says, I wasn't trying to just show them who I was. I was trying to teach them that they have a part in this. I'm trying to show them who they are, too. That they have a purpose beyond just following commands. That they can participate in this. That they're more powerful with their words who have created them to be than they even know. And not only am I going to show my glory to them, but I'm going to show my glory to Egypt. And not only am I going to fix today's problem, but I'm going to fix years worth of problems, generations worth of problems. I'm going to show my glory to all of Egypt so that they will never come after you again. I have a plan. Trust me. Get moving. Stop being frozen in complaints, frozen in questions and doubt, and just get moving. When might be time to stop praying when it's time for action. 
our third example today of when God seems to say stop praying is the least uh, obvious to see. And it's because, like I said earlier, I, I feel like this series has been pretty easy to say I need to get up and move physically. I need to do something physically. I need to get more involved. I need to serve people. It's the spiritual laziness that's tougher to nail down. And the series is about really identifying laziness in all its forms and conquering it. And the spiritual side is even more important than the physical. Luke 10 is where we see our third example. And it's short little story about two sisters. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, now hear these words in the context of a prayer, because although Jesus is sitting literally physically in her presence, she's talking to the Lord of heaven and earth. God is sitting in her dining room right? We believe Jesus is fully man and fully God. And so think of this as a prayer. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. That prayer sound familiar to anybody else? Does it seem fair to you, God, that I have to do all the work and they just get to sit around and do nothing? Convict them, right? Do something about everybody else in my life that's abusing me, taking advantage of me. Can't you do something about it? But the Lord said to her, I love how loving he says it. My dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. I have been a a married Christian woman for 12 years now. (laughs) And I can tell you how often I pray the prayer, God convict him. Right? I've done nothing. Convict him. And I can tell you it's not only a dangerous prayer to pray. It's an interesting one. Because almost, oh, in fact, I can't think of one time where this didn't happen. God convicts me long before he convicts him. I'm the one that's like, oh, I need to back up a little bit. I need to be a little bit more humble. I need to change a few things. Right, And in doing so, usually God convicts us both and things work out. But I always get the conviction first. Not saying it's a bad prayer. Not saying you shouldn't pray it. God convict other people. It's ultimately for their good, right? (laughs) But we shouldn't be praying it with selfish motives. God seems to say stop praying when we're doing so with selfish motives. Because he says it by convicting us first. Mary wanted everything to look perfect. Sorry, Martha wanted everything to look perfect for God. 
God never asked for perfection from us. In fact, he gave us perfection by giving us the blood of Jesus. He doesn't expect us to be perfect, and he doesn't expect us to deliver perfection to him. He's not a dictator or a king that makes everybody serve him. He came to wash feet. He came to serve us. And besides that, do you not think Jesus, of all people, could handle dinner? I mean, he created food for 5,000 people with a couple of fishes and loaves. I think he can handle it if he really wants it. Right? You don't have to worry yourself over all these details. The only thing that matters is what your sister Mary has discovered, and she's sitting at my feet. She's pursuing a relationship with her Savior. She's listening to the wisdom and the guidance that I have to give her. She's having an honest conversation with me. The sitting at someone's feet at that time was a symbol of humility. It was showing them you were below them. Mary was serving her Savior. Jesus didn't come to make us all his slaves. He came to make us all his friends. There's nothing that we can do or not do to threaten his perfection, to take away from it. We can't make all the silverware put in the right place at a dinner for him and expect him to be more perfect You can't take away or add to his perfection. That's who he is. He brings the perfect with him. He just wants a relationship with you. The why here is more important than the what. Mary understood the why. Why Jesus was here. To have a relationship with her. Martha knew he was here, wanted to serve him, but didn't understand the why. Maybe she wasn't brave enough to go in that room. Maybe she was being spiritually lazy. She didn't want to hear the truth and then she'd have to do something about it. She'd rather go and do the busy work in the kitchen and and serve Jesus physically. I don't know. But she didn't understand the why. The bottom line to this entire series is we have to resist laziness in all its forms, but especially spiritual. We can't get too comfy on the couch that God has provided for us in the blessings and the favor that he's provided for us. We have to get up and participate with him. We have to be constantly examining the fine line between what is our responsibility in this faith and what is God's. It's very easy to get off of that fine line. It's very easy to say, God, I need the control over this and and I can't give it all to you. And it's also very easy to give too much to him. Expect him to be our waiter. Expect him to hand deliver us blessings on a platter. God looks at the heart, not at the outward appearance. Maybe it's time to get up and go to work. Maybe it's time to go and repent. Maybe it's time to examine our motives in prayer with him. But the one thing worth being concerned about is why we're doing all of this. It's a relationship with our heavenly father through the power and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because our what may change, our couch may change, our blessings may change, but the why 
never changes. And we can't get too addicted to the couch and being comfortable that we can't step out into new things that God has for us. I was very concerned throughout this series that I was going to create workaholics. People who thought that you have to serve to gain this relationship with God, that you have to over-serve and kill yourself and, and serve people to the point where you're no longer worth much. But the article I, I posted in the sermon notes on the app today says this, workaholics are people who compulsively work long hours, often on the weekends and through vacation time. They are physically addicted to work. This could mean 12 to 14 hour work days every day. A hard worker on the other hand, does not put him or herself in this type of danger. They might stay extra hours right before a big deadline, but they don't get to a point where they neglect family, friends, and their own health, sometimes to an irreversible point. A hard worker understands what they're working for, the family, the friends, the health. A workaholic gets that confused. A workaholic gets the purpose of the work confused. Just like a, a prayaholic, a prayeraholic gets the purpose of their prayers confused. A couch potato forgets who provided the couch in the first place. They forget why they're working, what we're working towards. The couch potato Christian doesn't understand that fine line in our faith that we're meant to be constantly examining. What is our responsibility? And what is his? What is our workload and what is his? We have to be constantly figuring out what he's saying to us in this season because it may be very different from what he said in the last season. We have to be addicted to his voice, not the blessings that he's provided in the, in the past. Because sometimes God says, stop working and pray. Sometimes he says, stop praying and work. Will you trust him no matter what he says? Will you listen even when it's the opposite of everything you've known up until this point? Because it's not only about the big comfy couch, the blessings or the favor or the work or the not work, working the one thing worth being concerned about is our relationship with him. What's he saying to you today? Not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today. Can we be more focused on his voice than on the couch he's provided? Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Thank you that it's useful to teach us and correct us and guide us into all truth. Father, I pray today that you would convict us where we need convicted. You'd encourage us where we need encouraged, that you'd inspire us where we need that too. Pray that you would call out purposes and callings from this church. We would be able to serve each other like never before out of the amazing love that you have given us. Father, I pray that for those of us in this room that it's time to stop complaining. It's time to stop worrying. It's time to stop stomping our feet and crossing our arms at God. And it's time to start getting to work. Father, I pray that you would communicate that clearly. 
It was show us where to get to work and how. Show us how to tune everything else out and tune into your voice. Convict us where we need convicted. Heads bowed and eyes still closed. And I'm serious about that part today because I want to give everybody in the room an opportunity to respond to something sort of difficult this morning. If you are feeling a little convicted, like God is saying there's this unrepentant sin somewhere in your life that you identified with the guy who went and hid what he had done wrong. But he wasn't willing to hide it enough to get rid of it just not show everybody else that he had disobeyed. And maybe that's you today. You're hiding something you know God wouldn't be cool with, that people in your life might not be cool with. But maybe you've been a little too lazy to give it up, to deal with it, to repent fully and wholeheartedly. Maybe today you want to. You see now that it's coming between you and God that might be hindering your prayer life a little bit. And God is today saying, why are you crying out to me? You've got work to do. Go and deal with the unrepentant sin. Get rid of it once and for all, and then come back to me. Father, I pray that callings and giftings and purposes would be called out of this church, that we wouldn't be able to sit by on the sidelines, physically or spiritually, that we wouldn't be able to allow ourselves to get away with stuff anymore because we have a job to do. We not only have the God of heaven and earth on our side, but we have a purpose and a calling straight from him. We are a vibrant, passionate, selfless church, not because that's who we are, but because that's who you are. Thank you that you have given us a calling to go into the world and preach the gospel. Father, help us realize we can't do that from the couch. We sometimes have to sacrifice some comforts, some desires, some blessings even, to step out in faith and see what you're going to do. Father, transform us from couch potatoes to world changers. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I-N-N. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. message. So I just want to take a second and explain it. Don't pray. Right, Candace? No more praying. That's what, okay, listen, maybe that's not the full lesson from today's message. Yeah, we're, we're supposed to pray, but, but we have to get into action. There's things we have to do. Uh, I wrote down that, like, you said something that really resonated with me. He didn't bring you this far just to abandon you now. Come on. Like, even if it's your first time here, like, he, he brought you here, and he's not going to leave you here. He's not going to abandon you at this, the edge of the Red Sea with all the hardships in front of you. And we go, you want me to what? 
walk out. I can't do that. He's going to walk with you, but you got to get off the couch. Maybe the blessing that God has in store for us isn't a comfy chair, but a better life. And that requires us moving forward constantly, not saying, this is pretty good. I'm happy here. We got to move. We got to move. And while we're moving, pray. But, but don't sit back lazy saying, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm not, I'm not moving anymore. God, move me. No, we're going to move. That's what we're going to do. And, and I want to end today's service not with a prayer, ironically enough, but, but with an encouragement. So would you guys stand up? I hope you receive this word, this, this encouragement, this challenge, because God did not call us to be comfortable, but to live a changed life. We are no longer couch potatoes content to sit on the side of the road while others do the actions. This week, we will challenge ourselves, set goals for ourselves, take actions in our faith that our prayer lives would push us forward, but not leave us where we were. God loves you for who you are and where you're at, but he wants for you something better that will require something more. So don't remain where you are, but move forward in faith to where he has in store for you. He's got something great ahead, but you cannot move to new places by living in old patterns. Get off the couch, Freedom Valley. Get off the couch, get into the game, Follow him where he calls you. Deal with what he has put his finger on. This cannot have been an easy sermon series to hear, but hopefully it's an encouraged one, an encouraging one to live. So yes, fall on your knees in prayer, but when you get off your knees, go to work. Prayer for prayer's sake is meditation for meditation's sake. It gets you nowhere, but prayer that drives us forward can cause us to live a new life. You ready? So go out this week, put into action these words, challenge yourself, set goals, take a step, and we'll see you next week. I love you guys. If it's your first time here, stop by the FE Serve Desk. If you made a decision for God, the I'm in table, and there is prayer available right at the front altar. Come for prayer. We love you. See you soon.